Welcome to Nonprofit Lowdown. I'm your host, Rhea Wong. Hey, podcast listeners, Rhea Wong with you once again with Nonprofit Lowdown. Today, I am talking to Hardy Smith, who is author, consultant, and speaker, and he wrote the book, Stop the Nonprofit Blame Game. So we're going to have a lot of fun today talking about boards, which is a hot topic that everyone wants to talk about. Welcome, Hardy. Thank you, Rhea. I'm looking forward to, to visiting with you and your guests. This will be a lot of fun. I think so. And you know what? As we were saying before we started, this is everyone's number one problem. So we're going to get it right to it. So before we jump into the content, which I know we're all excited about, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background in nonprofit. Rhea, what I think has made me contributed to making me successful in, in the work I do in, in, in helping nonprofits is I am not from the nonprofit sector. My background is, my professional background is 30 years in the high-performance world of NASCAR racing. Now, wasn't a driver, but but I was a fixer, a, a problem solver. My job was to identify problems, challenges that may affect the business, make sure those problems didn't happen. And if by chance a, a problem kind of squeezed through the cracks, I darn sure better find a solution as quickly as possible so now during that 30-year career in motorsports i was working nationwide with nonprofits associations chambers of commerce all over the country as a part of my professional work and also from a from a personal standpoint as well that's been a a lifelong involvement of mine is working with community groups and nonprofits so i i bring a different mindset that nascar background is, is to challenge and think a little bit contrarian be a little bit pragmatic and problem solve and fix so that's the background that i bring into the work i do now with nonprofits. now i'm going to play a little bit of name game do you know matt clark by chance i do he not was... know matt clark Okay, well, you, you two should get connected. I can introduce you. He also was in NASCAR, and he's a performance coach. So I think okay. he's in your neck of the woods. He is a great okay. friend, and actually, I did a podcast interview with him. So anyway, I'm, that sounds so dumb. I'm sure it's like when people say like, oh, you're from Canada. Do you know my friend Bob? <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a uh, large, and I work nationwide, and it, it's a large business with a lot of people. I'm sure it is. And it's very high pressure, intense seconds are seconds matter. So I understand that world just a tiny little Absolutely. bit. So tell me then, given that you weren't coming from the nonprofit world, what inspired you to write the nonprofit blame game? By the way, great title. Thank you very much. And, and all the props goes to the creative team at my publisher, Greenleaf Pub Group, Greenleaf Book Group. But they're, they're the ones that came up with that creative inspiration. The, I, I, I had launched into my career, Rhea, of working with nonprofits as a consulting business. I was conducting a training session, had about 100 nonprofit CEOs in the room. And I, I asked the question, what's your number one problem? I'm, I'm thinking, okay, we'll come up with a group problem. We'll all split up into small groups and we'll kind of work on the problem collaboratively together, okay? And, and I didn't get multiple answers. I got one very definitive answer. 
And if you can imagine a hundred people in a room yelling out, it's the board members. Why don't board members do what they're supposed to do? And I'm going to tell you, Rhea, no exaggeration, the force of that answer from, from me being in front of those 100 people really shocked me. And it, 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 it caused me to take a step back. And then, so that was the first aha that, whoa, there is, there's something here that, and then there was a silence in the room. First, there was a buzz, then there was a silence, and they were all looking at each other. So all these individuals had figured out they all had the same problem, and it was about the board members. So that was the second aha. I said, wow, I, I, I've got to get into this. I've got to wrap my head around it. And of course, you know, anyone who works in the world of nonprofits you know, how much content is out there, how much how voices of frustration are being expressed in the different chat rooms and, and conversations about those board members and why don't they do what they're supposed to do? So I and and so very common topic, there just didn't seem to be an answer for it. So I set out to find an answer to the question. Why don't board members do what they're supposed to do? And that project, which was a, a nationwide survey of board members, not, not professional staff, but board members. And the responses came, and I used open-ended questions and got back open-ended answers. And when I laid it all out, you know, on the on the living room floor and started seeing all of these different answers. But the, you know, the words were different, but the meaning was the same. The passion was the same. And, and then they were, they were telling me, here's, here's why we don't do what we're supposed to do. Well, and so, yes. Sorry to interrupt you there. But so Go it ahead. seems to me that it, this is a problem with many different flavors, right? It's almost like saying, I go to the doctor and I'm sick. Well, what are you sick with? You you could have a cold, you could have COVID, you could have this, you could have... So it seems like there are a lot of different symptoms under this one presenting problem, if you will. So can you talk to me a little bit about what, what were the answers that you got? Well, it, it was very fascinating and it wasn't like anything I've ever seen in the sector as far as advice being shared. So number one, they, they, the, the board members listed several top issues, and, and that's what the book does is it goes through these. And then so the book is from what I wound up with. I didn't start out with this research with a book in mind. That, that kind of came later, but it's what the book is based on, is the nonprofit board member perspective. What the board members told me, number one, they get extremely frustrated. And I'm talking about board members who were good board members, that they're the board members you want, perfect board members. But Rhea, they get so frustrated and consequently turned off, shut down, become disengaged, Rhea, because number one, the, the, the organization has the wrong people on their board. And so the performers don't like or appreciate 
being stuck with working with a bunch of slackers who are not pulling their weight. Another major, major at the top of the list issue was the impact of poor communications. And when I talk about poor communications, it's not a it's not about more, you know, another email or another report. It's the whole, how do you craft your message, the platforms, how your messaging is being delivered. Um, so let's just say, you know, the typical nonprofit executive, you know, how many hours of sleep do they lose worrying over that next report that they're frustrated because they're having to write it. They're also frustrated because they know no one's going to read it and it, but it's going to suck up a lot of time on an agenda to talk about it. So here, here's the thing. If, if I'm the nonprofit executive director and I'm writing a report to you, Rhea, am I really understanding how you prefer to be communicated with? You may not want written reports in great detail with charts and graphs and and examples and case studies you may prefer like when i when i worked in nascar for bill france jr i, I would go into the office and in in his office and, and he'd ask me a question and i'd launch into this big long answer and he'd say hardy i don't need the full weather forecast just tell me is it raining yes or no and then it, once i learned that and then I also learned that if he had more questions, he would ask them, right? Well, then I became much better at communicating with my boss, Bill France Jr., the guy that owns NASCAR. So the, the point is that nonprofit professionals need to be better, need to be better communicators, communicate effectively. Another thing that's so important to communications is consider timing. Are your board members getting this big exhaustive report in time so that they there there is a time you know they're busy people they're not twenty four hour a day board people for your organization so they may have a few hours available prior to a board meeting so are you to prepare so are you getting them your report? in time so they have time to read it digest it prepare questions um, before the board meeting and board members from a communication standpoint do not like surprises they don't want to read about a potential issue it could be an hr problem it could be a financial problem it could be the fundraiser you know because of COVID or some other issue just collapsed and had to be postponed. They don't want to know about these big picture things because they read it in social media or read it in the news media or heard it from someone else. The board members want information in a timely manner, no surprises. Uh, and one final thing, yeah. go ahead. And I've got one final thing. All right. about one final thing. And then I have a question. Go ahead. You know, anyone who's involved in a personal relationship understands how important effective communication is. Well, it, it's taken me a little while married to my wife, Debbie for 48 years has taken me a little while Rhea, to figure it out, but how important is listening? So board members tell me and the research that I've done 
is that they don't feel listened to. And so that means you've got very high value individuals. These are individuals that are probably super busy. They probably have a significant presence in their own professional lives and careers, but they're willing to volunteer and serve your organization. Okay. So if they have thoughts and ideas and they don't feel like anyone's willing to listen to them, how does that make them feel? And they don't feel valued. They don't feel appreciated. They don't feel understood. So why even, why even participate? So listening is so critical. Hardy, I think your answer is actually the, the answer for my next question is bottom line. I think a lot of EDs want to know why their board isn't engaged in fundraising, isn't engaged in opening their <laughs> networks and so forth. And I think to your point, they don't feel like they're part of the team. They feel like they're a number. They feel like maybe they're an interruption in your day. And when you ask them to do stuff related to fundraising, you haven't you haven't invested in order to, to pull out, right? So talk to me, bottom line, why is it that board members aren't quote, doing what they're supposed to do, which often means fundraising. Well, let's let let me try to kind of answer your question with a little bit of a challenge. How many, and I have a lot of fun with this, so be sure to rein me in and keep me on track. How many situations exist when nonprofit professional let that board member that new board member know oh you're we're we're expecting you to raise money and when i talk about raising money there's lots of ways a board member can help with a fundraising effort so my comments ria are going to be about direct solicitation direct ask and it applies to also direct giving at a significant level so here's the thing not very many people want to ask anyone else for money. They just do not want to do it. That's why nonprofits have development directors. So the executive director doesn't have to ask anybody for money. That's the development director's job. I say that a little bit with a tongue in cheek. That's why uh, board members support development director positions in the budget. So they don't have to ask anybody for money. So no one wants to ask anybody for money. And let's take this back, walk it back a little further in the process. I always say, if you want fundraisers on your board, if you want your board members to be fundraisers, for Pete's sake, get fundraisers. All right? Get fundraisers. So in your recruitment process, and you're you're looking at, at candidates, and you're having that introductory, you're developing a relationship. My experience tells me uh, it's in the head of that nonprofit leader that, oh, sure, Rhea, we want you to be on our board and we fully expect you to raise money for the organization. But you know what happens? We don't bring that up in the conversation. And that conversation, the money talk, I talk about having the money talk and when you have the money talk, when, when should that happen? It should be in the very beginning of the recruiting process, right? So you can find out. You let them know up front. But here's why you don't have the conversation. I don't let you know, Rhea, that I'm going to expect you to raise money. Why? 
because you might say no to my invitation to join the board. And now I'm stuck with a vacancy that I can't fill. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to get you to the altar and I'm going to get you to commit to I do. And then once you're in and once you're all, you're, you're all in and you're committed. Oh, by the way, Rhea, one of the things we expect our board members to do is direct solicitation. Well, you're already on the board and you do, you detest asking other people for money. So what's happened essentially is a bait and switch. The organization yeah. knows what they want. The board member is blindsided. And in the world of marketing and advertising, bait and switch is illegal, right? Yeah. So you're, 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 you're not telling the truth. You're holding, you're holding back. So if you want fundraisers, go out and find the people who are willing to raise money. Now, may I add one asterisk here? Sure. Good, good fundraisers don't automatically make good governance board members. Mm. And what's the, what is the number one, you know, I'm going to say, here's my opinion. And there are going to be people in your audience say, no, 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 Hardy. We have a different opinion. And that's fine. That's another argument for another debate for another time. But I'm going to suggest to you the number one responsibility of a nonprofit board all relates to governance. And it's about the legalities and fiduciary responsibilities. And that does not include direct solicitation for fundraising. It just doesn't. That's my opinion. So if you want good governance board members, which you're required to have, and you can get a combination of good governance people and fundraising people, that's awesome. That's the best. But a lot of times, I know a lot of fantastic fundraisers. It is amazing at the work that they do. They will tell you, they'll help your organization. Don't ever expect them to show up at a board meeting. And so here's the problem. Those individuals are personally, legally liable for what either does or doesn't happen in that boardroom. So it, it's it's just you got to sort those things out, and it and it's it's different for every organization. Yeah. So I'd love to jump in here, Hardy, because I think you're saying a lot of things I want to touch on. So number one, I 100 yeah. percent agree with you, which is I say this all the time: clear is kind. So if you're yes. expecting something from your board members, you got to let them know up front so that they know what they're signing up for. And if they don't want to sign up for that, then maybe you two aren't meant for each other, and that's okay, right? Right. I think so much of this is driven by scarcity mindset of this fear of I'm never going to find another person on my board. So I'm going to take someone that maybe not may not be a fit for me, but at least they're a warm body, right? Number two, and I think this is sort of an interesting point. I think a lot of, from my perspective, why board members are not quote unquote, doing what they're supposed to do is that EDs often don't understand what the fundraising process is and therefore aren't able to train their people. What do I mean by that? That in the fundraising process, there are lots of steps that have nothing to do with direct solicitation. Now, sure. if you have board members who are willing to use direct solicitation, hallelujah, vaya con Dios, love that. But, not but, and I think a lot of EDs and 
board members don't realize that there are other ways to be involved in fundraising that have nothing to do with direct solicitation. There's identification, there's opening the door, there's making warm introductions, there's cultivation, there's stewardship. By the way, I'm going to die on that hill, which is we do a terrible job of stewarding and our attrition rates are bad. So all to say that I think that there's something here underneath of, of around training as well. Would you agree with yes. that? Well, if I could agree with somewhat of a maybe. So the training, in my opinion, Maria is for, will benefit those who are willing to be fundraisers in the overall process, not just limited, as you say, not just limited to direct solicitation. So if someone is willing and commits to it, okay, I'm all for good training, all for it. But if an individual is not wanting to participate, I go back to my original, if they're, if they do not want to be fundraisers, all the training in the world is not going to, you're not going to convince them to change their mind. You got the wrong people. If you want fundraisers and you don't have fundraisers, you've got the wrong people. So that goes back to your, your board recruiting process. Yeah. 100% agree. If, if that dog won't hunt, it won't hunt, right? You have a That's skill right. issue and you have a will issue. If you have will, it. I can teach you skill. If you have no will, all the skill in the world is not going to help. That is a fantastic way to put that. I like, I like that's tweetable. I, I would tweet that out. <laughs> All right. Tweet, tweet. There we go. So let's talk about this. Cause as an ED, I've had the experience of, you know, you have those one or two board members that you just, you know, are not doing what they need to do. And you kind of obsess about the one or two that aren't doing their job. Meanwhile, you have, you know, eight or 10 that are willing to go along with you, willing to do the thing. And so sure. I think sometimes we spend the wrong amount of attention on the wrong people. So talk to me about how do you know if somebody is, you know, can be moved either maybe just needs a little bit more skill and has the will and or is just a completely wrong fit. How do you make that determination? That that is a that is a terrific question. And I I would say first how how is the the one or two individuals how is it that that they're not rowing in in the same direction, going in the same direction as is the rest of the group. So are they difficult? Or are they contrarian? You know, because I might be one of those board members. <laughs> I would be a contrarian thinker. Are they challenging, difficult, or disruptive? So there's a difference. And I think that, that you know, and a lot of times we don't, as, in, as humans, we don't like conflict. We just we just don't want to deal with it. So assuming your, your recruiting process is, is good and you do have the right people, well, take a look at the, you know, the personalities that you have on your board. It may be a board members, their personality, their their characteristic traits are to ask questions, are to press for details, are to not go along with the status quo. Well, I would answer the question with this question. Don't you want some of that on a board? Isn't that part of their responsibility? A board, good board should have debate, should have challenge and should have, you know, interactiveness. Now, it all needs to be constructive. It should get to be a positive 
uh, you know, conversation, not not personal attacks and, and you know, those kind of things. So it, it kind of depends just because someone isn't in total lockstep with everyone else. I, I would caution that executive director, don't just automatically paint them with a bad board member brush. So just kind of just kind of pay attention. And I would suggest maybe having individual conversations and and just see if there may be questions that they have that you could help that that a board meeting is not really the place to get into it, but they may have legitimate questions and they're not getting answers. That's one of the reasons I suggest make board members matter. But the, the having those conversations, listening. Remember, I said the importance of listening and finding out exactly who that individual is. It might be someone that you could, not in a manipulative way, but but in a in a positive way, you may be able to flip them into being one of the most positive, supportive board members that you have. So, Hardik, you've talked a lot about what EDs can do, but let's talk about board chairs because, in theory, board chairs are there to manage the board. I, I've actually not seen this happen very often. I personally have had some good, very good board chairs, but it's often, it falls on the shoulders of the ED to m- manage upward and sort of, if anything, create an illusion that the board chair is managing, but they're actually not. So talk to me about the role of board chairs and their accountability and responsibility around board management. You have the best questions. You're you're really good at this. So there is some very very compelling research that's been been done by BoardSource, and one of my one of my favorite questions that they, and this is their every other leading with intent survey. It's been going on for a number of years. One of my so there's a two part answer to this. One of my favorite questions is rate your board members' knowledge of roles and responsibilities. And historically, I've got a whole stack of every single report over here on the shelf back to the whenever they started doing this research. Never comes back. They just, you know, see maybe a maybe C plus, maybe in a really good survey year it's a B minus. It's never, there's a huge gap. So my question is, well, as a new board coming on to the board, did I know everything I was supposed to know? Did you share that with me in the recruiting process, the onboarding process? Was how good is your orientation process? Are you just assuming because I'm on, and I've I've had this statement before, well, they're on the board. They should know what they're supposed to do. Well, the fact is they don't. And the reason I say that. There's a million and a half some odd nonprofits in the United States, and every one of them are unique. And so what just because you've been on five other boards doesn't mean you know what is needed from a role and responsibilities of a board member for this particular board you've just joined. Now, so whose responsibility is it? if me as a new board member don't fully understand my roles and responsibilities, I'm going to suggest the organization, the professional staff and board leadership needs to make sure 
that knowledge gap is closed. Part B to this, to, 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 to your answer, very, again, very compelling research from board source and others about, this fascinates me, Rhea, the knowledge gap and the preparation gap of board leadership. So individuals are coming into board leadership roles without, there's a significant number of individuals coming into these roles that do not have adequate experience, skills, and any type of preparation that indicates they're going to be successful in the, in the task at hand. Again, I go back to, so, so you may have been the chairman of five other boards, but, you know, playing sports as, as, as a youngster, my coaches would always ask me, Rhea, well, Hardy, are you practicing to get better or you practicing to reinforce bad habits? So just because somebody was a past chairman of five different boards, don't assume they were good at it. Right. So you need to have that conversation and be intentional about when you're selecting your board leaders. Don't assume they know what they need to know. Prepare them for the success that you you want them to have. Now, getting to the real big question, who's supposed to be dealing with these board members who aren't performing? My 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 question to answer your question is what's the reality of all of this? So at a, at a local board level, it may not be quite as true on a national level, but on a local board level, think about this. All those individuals sitting around the boardroom, they do business together. They probably raise their kids together. They worship together. They bank together. They buy insurance and cars from each other and real estate from each other. They go fishing and hunting and bowling together. They're all best buds. So what is, what's the reality of a board chairman? And they also, by the way, could be peers in the community. So what's the reality of a board chairman taking some kind of needed corrective action to address a board member's either behavior, inappropriate behavior, not being productive, being a slacker, just not doing what they're supposed to do. Prop the reality is, my experience tells me, not going to happen. So then that executive director is the one that gets kind of stuck with that task. And then what happens? And the, the the board member doesn't get upset with his his buddy or her buddy, the chair. They get upset with the executive director. Now the executive director has someone who's not friendly toward them on the board. And what does that mean? That's one more vote to that executive director's last day on a job. So there's a whole lot of angst around all of this, but the reality I think is important and to consider. So Hardy, you, you just painted a picture. I'm getting some PTSD here. <laughs> you painted a picture. It's like, what do we do about that? Right? Because I think EDs are often sort of caught in the middle here. And then also to be fair, I think as EDs, and I'll speak for myself, we really didn't, you know, <laughs> no honey, no money, right? Like our board members were the easiest ones to kind of kick around. And I think we often forget they're volunteers. Like they're not paid staff. 
they're doing this right. out of their free time. They want to feel good about the work that they're doing because they're contributing time away from their family or careers and so forth. So what do we do? It just feels like we're stuck in the middle a little bit. Well, hopefully the organization has term limits. So hopefully a lot of them don't or term limits are you can serve into perpetuity, multiple two-year terms as long as you live kind of a thing. But hopefully term limits are in place. If not, my suggestion would be the executive director and the board chair do need to have those conversations and work collaboratively and and as just depending on that relationship between hopefully that's a positive relationship between those two it's not an issue between the chair and the executive director but if there's a positive relationship Rhea okay here's the situation and the chair's going to know it you know how can we best address this so that there's input and that input can be collaboratively developed into a strategy on how to address it. If there is a governance committee, perhaps the committee could address it. You know, sometimes there are a lot of organizations will have a uh, an engagement agreement, sort of a contract, if you will, of what participation is. And you, you agree to do this, this, and this, and attend so many meetings. And then, so if you don't have it, Okay, you can say, okay, but, you know, you have these conversations and hopefully there's a, po a way to positively rectify the situation. Sometimes it is going to be negative and it's not going to be good if it's a situation. And unfortunately, they do happen where a board member's behavior is totally inappropriate. Then, you know, some action it, it so that it's endangering the organization, then the board is going to have to act um, from a governance standpoint. You just can't allow, you know, like conflict of interest or, you know, those kind of things. Again, though, it it's, it is, it is so, I know it's a problem and I have, I'll confess, I've not found a definitive answer that in my mind, is realistic and pragmatically works. I know yeah. the, the best practices is, okay, well, you have to fire the board member, but I realistically, you know, don't see that happening very often. Yeah, I think that's such a good point. But one thing that I wanted to share with the audience is I had a fantastic board chair, Liz. I've talked about her a lot, but, you know, when we first started working together, we agreed that, we can disagree in private, but in public, in front of the board, there was no daylight between us. We were 100% on the same page publicly. And I think having that kind of relationship is key because this is the most important relationship from a governance perspective. Mm -hmm. All right. I have a hot button question coming in. All right. So, fundraising committees or development committees, right? So often <laughs> when it's time to staff the, that committee, everyone goes, not it. And you <laughs> basically end up putting people who weren't at the meeting on the committee because they said that they didn't say that they wouldn't be on the committee. So let's talk about what is the role of the fundraising committee? And in your research, are there best practices that we can get people to really engage in fundraising, knowing that most people do not like talking about money, do not like solicitation? 
And and let's also dispel this myth that the fundraising committee is solely responsible for raising money. I think you have to walk it back. And I think you have to get to a place where to answer the question, who decided it was the fundraising committee's job to raise the money. And so, you know, walk it back. So in your, in your, hopefully uh, your strategic planning process, yeah, I talk about suggest use planning as a tool for engagement. So in your planning process, have this conversation. What, what is the expectation of board members to be involved in some way with fund? What is the role of the fundraising committee? What's their What's their level of leadership there? And, and and how much are they supposed to raise? And so if you start having these conversations, so you get the feedback from the board members, you know, you, you I think the organization is fooling itself and creating this frustration around board member engagement. When you're just assuming, well, we have a committee, well, they're board members, and well, therefore, they should be raising money. I, I, I keep saying this, don't assume that's going to be true. So when, get agreement from your board on what specifically they as a group are willing to do as fundraisers, regardless of the activity, get agreement from the board on what the expectation of the fundraising committee is. The reason I'm trying to emphasize that, maybe overemphasize that, is if staff is assuming it, you are already going down the wrong path. You're, it, well, it you know work. what they say about assuming, Hardy. <laughs> it, it's just not going to work. It's a mistake. Right. But if you can, if you can get that buy-in, and ask me rather than tell me, then that's going to make all the difference in the world. Now, one of my pet peeves, don't, please don't tell me that, oh, well, you know, um, Hardy and Rhea weren't at the meeting when committee assignments were being handed out. And, you know, they're pretty active on the board. So we'll put them on the fundraising committee. I'm telling you. Don't, you know, how important is that fundraising committee? How, you know, from a dollars and cents standpoint, do you have them raising X amount of dollars to, to feed more kids, take care of more underserved populations, take care of the environment, whatever it is that you do? Well, how serious are you about it? Then you've got to be intentional. It can't be a joke for heaven's sake. It can't be a joke. Oh, well, Hardy and Rio weren't at the meeting. So therefore, oh, well, that qualifies them for being on the fundraising committee. That's just ridiculous. And yeah. unfortunately, that's that all too often that happens that way. I've written one of the most popular blogs I've written for board source and on my own website is nonprofit leadership, a joke. And a little tongue in cheek there, but all too often, that's a the fundraising scenario, committee scenario is exactly what happens with our board leadership roles, our chairmanship leaders, our chairmanship roles. 
there is no intentionality. You know, so we set our we set ourselves up for a whole lot of the frustration we experience. Hardy, I don't know if you know this term. If you don't, you you're free to use it. Voluntelling. We like to voluntell people. And when we voluntell people, it does not work out. It might work out in sort of short-term bursts, but ultimately you need people's buy-in, as you say, their commitment and their alignment, right? We all need to align to the thing that we all say that we're going to do and we need to row in the same direction. Any questions coming in from the audience? Last chance here. All right. I'm going to wrap this up, Hardy. This has been really fun. I think the work that you've done is really important and and certainly speaks to a lot of the pain points of ED's face. <laughs> Tell us again, where can we find your book, Stop the Nonprofit Blame Game, and find more information about you? Well, Stop the Nonprofit Board Blame Game is available on, it's a bestseller on Amazon. So go to Amazon and you can, you'll find it right there. The book page is listed under Stop the Nonprofit Board Blame Game. My website is very simple, hardysmith.com. All right, Hardy, last question. This is the fun question I've been asking folks a lot. If you had a metaphorical billboard to communicate anything to the universe, what would be on your billboard? It is related to the nonprofit sector. Be intentional. Be intentional about all of your best so-called best practices be intentional about recruiting board members be intentional with having the benefit of good planning to determine the direction you're going in don't just wing it don't just say well we're just about doing good and that's all the time we have for is just doing good so we really can't take the time out to operate our nonprofit like we should be. We're just going to bless our hearts, take whatever we can get, and we're going to try our best to, to do more good. Be intentional. That's so good, Hardy. Thank you so much. Everyone, go forth, be intentional, and think about how you can make your boards better. Maybe you need to give them a little bit of love, a little bit of training, a little bit of clarity. Hardy, thanks so much for being with us today. Rhea, thank you so very much. Thank you. Okay. Have a great day, everyone. Hi. If you're a fan of Nonprofit Lowdown, you might be interested in my weekly free newsletter where I send out weekly inspiration for fundraising, notices about any upcoming events that I'm doing, and a cute dog picture. So check it out at riawong.com, R-A-G-A-W-O-N-G.com.